This podcast is hosted by RPP. The following episode contains coarse language, violent themes, sexual references, and the really creepy stuff. If you're underage, turn off your device. Normal people, Esther, don't just go straight to demonic infestation like we do. Because the government was also freaked out about the babies. They might be dealing with a demonic possession. Meanwhile, as she's on top of him squeezing his throat, she's screaming, who sent him here? And they started to move towards her really fast. What are these? Australian aliens. Going into the 90s now, they had an argument on one occasion during which Catherine hits David in the face with an iron. Oh, my God. And then she stabs him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. She's just mental. Oh, my God. I think the iron got the message across. Like, yeah, there was no need for the stabbing of the scissors. There always seems to be a two-pronged revenge with her. It's like, first I'm going to either kill your puppy, then hit you in the head with a frying pan, or I'm going to burn all your clothes, then hit you in the head with a frying pan. Um, You're going to get a medal to the head one way or another. She's very into the double tap. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So after this... No surprise, he moves back to his old apartment again. (laughs) Uh, But that doesn't last long. And when he comes back to Aberdeen, she's cut up all of his clothes. So I think with a lot of these men, the reason that they come back is because they all have children with her. Uh, So that's kind of, they can't fully cut ties with her because of the kids. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought it was too. Yeah. Yeah. So history repeats itself like it did with the last David and he goes into hiding. Uh, He puts in his long service leave at work and he hits the road. Catherine tries to find out where he's gone, but no one will tell her. I think Mm. sort of, you know, she's got this reputation as being the time, the town psycho and people are trying to protect him. They don't want to tell her where he is. But he comes back after a few months to see his daughter, only to find that Catherine has put an AVO out on him, which is a restraining order. It calls it, okay. it stands here. It stands for apprehended violence order. Okay. And she told the police that she was in fear of him, um, so she had this restraining order put on him, and he leaves for good this time. So in 1997, she she becomes pregnant by another guy and this guy's name is John Chillingworth. He's a 43 year old former abattoir co-worker. Uh, and in 1998, they had a baby son called Eric. So this is her fourth child. We don't know a lot about their relationship, but it was pretty short. It was just three years. We do know that John refused to marry her and this frustrated Catherine However, she had already started to have an affair anyway with another guy who, whose name you might remember, John Price. Yeah, okay. I was wondering where he came back in. Yeah. <laughs> so when John Chillingworth finds out about the affair, they break up and Catherine starts an official relationship with John Price. 
uh, author of Beyond Bad, which is the book about this this case, Sandra Lee said, I think she was getting to that point where she was desperate. Her looks were leaving her such as they were. They were not, there were that not that many options around in town. I think most of the menfolk of Aberdeen and the Hunter Valley had got her measure by now. They knew of her reputation. They knew that she wasn't shy with landing a fist on their face or stabbing them with whatever implement she could get. Yeah, I, I imagine word, that word gets out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. So apparently she met John Price in 1995. So I don't know if that's when the affair started, but they officially got together in about uh, 97, 98, I think it was. Um, so he was known in the town as Pricey. Fun fact. I actually lent my voice to another podcast based out of California as the voice of Catherine uh, when they did this case. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there was a lot of me yelling, Pricey, Pricey. Anyway, so he's known as Pricey. Uh, they had an extremely volatile relationship. If he was late home from the pub, she would be waiting in a rage. Pricey was the father of three children and he was really well liked. Like he was like the good bloke in town. His own marriage had ended in 1988, but he and his ex-wife had remained good friends. Uh, his two older children lived with him and the younger, who I believe was two years old, lived with the mother. Okay. Uh, John Price was aware of Knight's violent relation, uh, reputation as they began their relationship, but his kids actually liked her. However, they would have public arguments and Catherine was well known for her outbursts. Price's friends were not a fan. Mm. At one point, Catherine wanted Pricey to put her name on the deeds to his house and after being turned down, she got pretty mad. Uh, she felt that she was entitled to sort of half of his assets, that kind of thing. Oh, she wow. has this thing where she likes to be married. She likes to be very much kind of, you know, um, she likes to be connected with people so that they can't get away, whether it's mm -hmm. by marriage, by being on the deed to the house, by having children, that kind of thing, She uh, or by killing their mechanic. She likes <laughs> to keep people close. <laughs> and that's hard, clearly. Um, so after he wouldn't put her on the deeds to the house, she goes back to her old ways and, and anyway, she takes a video camera and she films an old first aid kit, which is in his garage. She took the video to his workplace and told them he's been stealing from you. He stole this first aid kit. Now, Pricey says it was an old, out-of-date first aid kit and he'd taken it home after it had been thrown out in the garbage. Um, but unfortunately, the damage was done and he was fired. Um, he, they broke up, Catherine and John Price, and they remained that way for three months. But inexplicably, they end up back together again, much to his friend's disappointment. Oh, wow. So, and this is how bad it is. He has to change pubs. Small yeah. town, you've got your local, 
he actually has to go to a different pub. And I think in this town there's like the bottom pub and the top pub, meaning one's at the end of Main Street and the other one's at the other end of Main Street, so he has to swap to the other one. Mm-hmm. At some point he either gets another job or gets his old job back. I'm not clear on those circumstances because at the time of his death he is employed again. But the madness continues at home. At one point, while at Pricey's house, Catherine had threatened him with a knife. Wow. After which um, he tells his workmates that he believes one day Catherine's going to kill him. He actually goes to the police in hopes of getting them to remove Catherine from his house, but they say, well, you need a court order because she basically lives there. He's like, well, she mm-hmm. doesn't own the house. We're not married. And he's like, and they're like, well, according to sort of they're treating it as like a common law yep. or de facto relationship, which means technically they can't actually kick her out. So if he wants to, he's got to go to court. After this, he finds out that she's gone to the police and she's taken an AVO out on him claiming domestic abuse. But even though she's taken out this restraining order on him, she still stays in the house. So she does it more of kind of like an act of um, don't try to go to the police about me because I'll it's my word against yours, that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, to the point that I can put you out of your own house type of message. Yeah. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. night before his death, Pricey wakes to find Catherine at the end of his bed with her hands behind her back and he thinks she's got a knife and he freaks out and he runs out of the house and he, and, but as he leaves, he sees in the mirror, she's actually got nothing behind her back, but he's so afraid of this person that he, he like, he, he really thinks that she's going to permanently maim him. So on the day of his death, he goes to the local courthouse and tries to get an AVO out on Catherine. But the thing is, even with court orders pretend, you know, preventing them from seeing each other, they still find their way back to each other, like on a daily basis. It's really, really weird. Kind of toxic. Totally. Mm-hmm. And he tells a friend... If my truck is still in the driveway in the morning or on any morning um, that he's supposed to be at work, call the police. Oh, wow. And this is basically exactly what happens. And you can see it on the crime scene video. The first thing that they, they you see is his truck. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the crime scene. What happened? So the day before Price's murder, on the 29th of February 2000, Catherine's behavior was a bit weird, weirder than normal. (laughs) Firstly, she goes over to her sister's house to get a video camera that she had left a few months earlier. And then she goes to her daughter Natasha's house and recorded a video of herself playing with Natasha's baby. And she says in the video, I love all my children. I hope I see you all again. Oh. So I think... She's not making any secret of the fact that something's going to happen. Yeah, clearly. Um, You know, it's premeditated, definitely. Mm -hmm. She also took her daughter Natasha out for Chinese food for dinner, which apparently was really out of character, and she said she wanted the night to be special. 
And later, she asks if she can leave her two youngest children with Natasha for the night. So that would be two-year-old Eric and I believe 10-year-old Sarah by this point, if the dates are correct Mm -hmm. in the articles. So the weird thing about this was the kids don't have an overnight bag. They don't have any clean clothes. And Sarah needed her school uniform for the morning. Mm -hmm. So Natasha's like, yeah, that's something weird's going to happen. And Natasha actually said in a statement to police, she thought the behaviour was a bit weird and she told her mother, I hope you're not going to kill Pricey and yourself. Oh, wow. So I don't think that this was a huge surprise to a lot of people. What what? It, I think the manner of the crime scene was definitely a shock, but the fact that Pricey was killed by Catherine was not a shock. So... Catherine drives over to Pricey's house after she's left the kids with her daughter um, and they're home alone. There's no kids in the house. According to some sources, they watch Star Trek. I don't know why this is relevant. But then they have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Dumb. I don't know. Some people are like, she goes over to Pricey's house. they they, They watch Star Trek and then they have sex. What we do know is that soon after this, she grabs a boning knife and starts stabbing Pricey in the chest uh, while he's still laying in bed. He starts to struggle and they begin running around the house with her repeatedly stabbing him. Uh, And he was actually stabbed 37 times. Whoa. Pricey made it to the front door which is why the police saw blood there. And there's blood on the door handle and also on the front doorstep, meaning he made it through. But before he could make it too far, she drags him back and finishes the job. There's blood on the walls and forensic evidence shows the blood spatter going lower and lower on the walls as he's collapsing. Yeah. And it also shows um, there's some blood spatter as well that shows that he was coughing up blood. She had managed to stab uh, him in the stomach, both lungs, the aorta, the liver, the left kidney, the descending colon, and the pancreas. No Uh, organs touched. Sorry? No organs untouched. Oh, absolutely not. And whether she was aiming for certain things, I don't know, or she was just going for whatever she could get. I I don't know. Um, So let's go back to the police heading through the house. So we've got Constable Matthews and we've got Sergeant Furlonger. Yeah, Sergeant Furlonger. Really into this story. And I'm like, oh, where's my spot? (laughs) Hey, I am. So it's insane. It's just one of those like, what the? Every time you think you've heard, it just gets worse. Oh, Keep on listening. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, the police have gone through the house and Sergeant Furlonga has said, Scotty, stand back. You don't want to see this. Um, They can see the human skin hanging up. She's perfectly cut the skin off in one piece. They can even see the eye holes. Oh, my God. According to Ranker.com, this will blow your mind, Knight peeled Price's body with such expertise and precision 
that she was able to leave the entire skin intact, including Price's nose, ears, genitals, mouth and hair. Medical officials reported that Knight had removed Price's skin in an experienced manner, allowing them to later reattach the skin to his body prior to the funeral service. Ah, good God. <laughs> oh I'm still, I'm g- still going to presume it wasn't open casket though. <laughs> it was oh, probably I'm- just more out of respect. You know, here, have your skin back. Yeah, let's put your skin suit back on. Like, yeah. Oh my God. So beyond the skin, Sergeant Falonga saw Pricey's body, which was skinless, uh, missing its genitals, and also it was headless. That's the point where he had said, don't look. The body is arranged with its legs crossed and with the left arm draped over an empty bottle of soft drink. So just almost like he's sitting there just kind of watching TV. Oh, my God. In the kitchen, they found the table set for dinner, despite it being early morning. Two plates of roast dinner and vegetables with gravy sat on the kitchen table with name tags with the names of Pricey's children next to them. There is a pot on the stove that's still warm. I'm going to give you one guess. She was no, it can't, it, no. <gasps> she did it. She did it. Inside the pot is the head of John Price. Ooh, oh, my God. Inside, um, sorry, they can see a bloodstain on the carpet as well where she had laid his skin out and removed his head. Um. She also left a bloodstained handwritten note that was full of spelling mistakes on top of a photograph of Pricey that insinuated that he had raped her daughter and that she was killing him in revenge. This rape was never substantiated. I don't think anyone actually believes that. She carved five steaks from Pricey's body. She served them up on plates with vegetables and gravy, along with the name cards for his kids. Now, obviously... These are prepared in the early hours of the morning, like 4 a.m. So I don't think that she expected anyone to actually come home for dinner. Right. Um, the fifth steak she throws out the back. Some people say that she threw it out for the dog. And some people say that it's actually a full plate that she threw out. And some people say that she had actually tried to eat it but didn't go through with it. <sighs> Whoa. Um. But, yeah, so the stake out the back is collected by police as evidence. A collection of bloodstained knives and a sharpening stone are also collected and tested for DNA. Um, after five days, Catherine is taken in for questioning. Wait, and the reason five Well, don't forget, <laughs> they found her asleep in the back room. The reason why she was unconscious was because she had taken an overdose of pills. So they actually had to take her in hospital. She had to be treated for this overdose, and it was only after five days that they could actually question her. Okay, I thought she was just running around town for five days, and I just No, 
no, no, no, no, no. What the hell? No, she's, okay. she's not going down the post office. She's not getting bread and milk. No, she's uh, picking the kids up from school. <laughs> not going to book club. Okay. <laughs> not getting her hair done. Um, Catherine is finally taken in for questioning. Uh, she says she doesn't remember a thing. However, she does admit that she killed him. And she suggests that she was the victim of domestic abuse. Uh, police don't believe this for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, but self-defense, you know, it doesn't usually equate. I perfectly skinned his body and hung it from the ceiling. That, and that's really where she just, that's where the ball was dropped, you know? Like, I think he's dead, Catherine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the self-defense can stop now. I mean, and then, you know, in self-defense, you're not carving somebody up or boiling their head for dinner, you know? Yeah, it's like, you know, you're, you're you know, after you're basting the, the steaks, like, it's, again, I think he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. I mean, he's dead. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just such a crazy case. Sorry, even I, I'm reading this research that I've done, and even I just have to stop at some point and just go, <laughs> This is so bad. Okay, police believe that what actually happened was that after the murder, Catherine washed herself up, changed her clothes, went to an ATM. Uh, do you call them ATMs? Yes, automatic yep. telling you to get money out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this was just after midnight with Pricey's bank card and took out about a thousand dollars, which was never found. Oddly enough, the, the money was never found. Interestingly, now this is fine if the ATM is 30 seconds down the road, it's a one hour round trip. Oh, <gasps> no, she got time to think. Uh, she then moved her car back to her house. And I'm guessing she walked back to Pricey's and went to sleep in his bed. Uh, But not before she took a bunch of pills. So by the time police found her, she was unconscious and they had to take her to hospital. So let's go to the trial because, look, I don't think you'll be shocked when I say there was no other suspects. I'm surprised. <laughs> Genuinely, what? no. This no. is a, just, the, where is the justice? Where is the humanity? <laughs> the Honourable Barry O'Keefe, AMQC, was the Supre- Supreme Court judge that oversaw Catherine's case. Mm-hmm. So this guy, he's got a good CV. He said she pleaded not guilty and the trial began in the conventional way. She sat in the dock. She was quite small, unimpressive. In a crowd, you would certainly never notice her. But during the trial, she asks to change her plea to guilty. And the judge said that he was concerned that if he sentenced her after this guilty plea, she would appeal, claiming that she had been insane at the time of changing her plea. So it's getting a little bit complicated and she's looking for loopholes and this type of thing. And he's like, I'm into you. I'm onto you. Uh, 
he decided mm-hmm. to get an expert psychiatrist to examine her. And this is, I mean, she's already been examined. He wanted another one. The psychiatrist makes the observation that she was, in fact, a sane person, although she may have a personality disorder that prompted her to take revenge if people treated her in a way she didn't like. But that is not the same as being insane. Yeah, that's not criminally insane. Right. Yeah. As the evidence was presented, she kept a perfect poker face. Then when the crime scene tape was shown, she began rocking and wailing So she's still hoping to get this insane verdict. Mm -hmm. She's panicking a little bit. Later, she was sentenced to life imprisonment with no chance of ever being released. Mm -hmm. And she's the first woman in Australia to ever receive this type of sentence. She showed no remorse. And the judge said, such a person is not unlikely to do the same thing again. So... Smart judge. She later did appeal the sentence in 2006, so about four years later, which she lost, and she remains in Clarence Correctional Centre in northern New South Wales. Now, the aftermath of this crime, the officers that went to the crime scene are still affected to this day by what they saw at John Price's house. And even the judge said, I didn't eat meat for about three months. Her brother later came forward, Catherine's brother, and told police she had told him that she would kill Pricey one day and she'd get away with it because she would claim insanity. Oh, my God. See, there was nothing in this crime that she never tried to hide the body. She never, there was nothing even... There was no secrecy behind it whatsoever. Like, you know, she could have taken him out to a field and shot him and buried him or something like that. There was nothing like that. She kills him. She hangs up his skin. She goes to sleep. She never, there's never a question that she did it. Mm -hmm. It was just so brazen. Brazen. That is a good choice of words. Very brazen. Yeah. Catherine Knight uh, at this point in prison is said to be sort of like a grandma-like figure. Um, People call her Nana. No. No. Hard Hard And the author that wrote the book on this case, Sandra Lee, said she does have her good side. She is an extraordinarily complicated and complex woman. She's far from being the one-dimensional caricature of evil. Many of those who knew her, even her ex-husbands and boyfriends, said she was generous and good fun and would be the first to help a lending a first to lend a helping hand if anyone needed it. She turned though when someone crossed her or did something she didn't like, and then she went into payback mode. Revenge was a weapon of hers. You had better watch out if you crossed Catherine Knight. And that is the story of the Australian Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. As much true crime as I watch, as much awfulness as I watch, and I always do it at night right before bed. Yeah. It doesn't affect me, which sounds really psychotic as well. It's like, oh, hmm. Well, we read about you on the in the news. 
No, <laughs> but um, I think, so here's been my question since. Sure. I wonder if she took the overdose close enough to a time where she knew that people would come looking for him so that she would, in essence, be saved before she could take her Actually, life. that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. Yeah, you're because so right. And she had, I mean, she spent an hour. Obviously, cutting his skin off didn't happen in 20 minutes. There was time that was. That's going to take a while. So she yeah. cuts his skin off. She carves off the stakes. She drives for an hour to get money, drop off her car. Then she walks over to his house. That's going yeah. probably going to take a couple of hours to do all of that. Yeah. Plus washing herself, changing her clothes and making a full roast dinner. Yeah. You know, that's a Sunday afternoon job when you've got right. time. Yeah. You know. It's it just, it, when you said it, I'm piecing it all together and I thought, huh, I wonder if she did it so meticulous, you know, in such a way that she knew even if she overdosed, somebody was going to come in looking for him because he's always yeah. somebody time for work. And they said that the pot was still like the... the so the pot of vegetables and head was still warm. Yeah. So I'm going to guess that she was probably still cooking till about four or five in the morning. Then mm -hmm. maybe, yeah, maybe she watched a bit more Star Trek for a little while and then she was like, <laughs> ooh, time to take an overdose. Yeah. So that, you know, when they see that he's not at work at 8 a.m. or 7.30 or whatever, mm -hmm. um, they're going to come in, they're going to save me. Um, and then I'll just start the whole, oh, it was self-defense story. Yep. Yep. Why she thought that that would hold up, I do not know. The self-defense is the part that I just shake my head at because. That's the bizarre thing. And when that didn't work, she went for the insanity. Yeah. Now I see her going for that. That one I understand because that's kind of the fallback for pretty much every criminal case. Exactly. But, and I mean, it was pretty and insane if I may say so like it's pretty the level of insanity was high for that type of crime but I think that the difference between insanity and you know insanity in a case like this is the premeditation and there was yeah. enough people sorry my cat wants to go in the drawer she goes around there she opens drawers to go inside them <laughs> um <laughs> um there's the premeditation and the fact that her brother said that she told him she was going to kill Pricey. The daughter knew something was off when she took her out for yeah. a nice dinner and asked her to look after the kids. She thought, mm -hmm. I think she's going to do something to Pricey and maybe to yeah. herself as well. And she was absolutely right. Yeah. That's where the, the insanity falls through because no one was surprised when this happened. Mm-hmm. It man, what a case. What a case. And even though, you know, she to our knowledge, she only killed one person, but the bizarre nature and the grotesque nature of it is such that she is quite a famous criminal in Australia. I, yeah, I would, yeah, I can see why. I mean, that is, yeah. it's just so meticulously detailed too. It's not, you know, she... Killed a couple, you know, she killed a couple dudes, threw them in the woods, you know, moved on, killed a couple more dudes. Like, it's not yeah. I 
porno style. It's, you know, it's very... She has, she has been compared to Eileen Buenos as well. She's also been compared to Hannibal Lecter. Um, but at the end of the day, um, her, her case is quite unique, I would, yes. I would say. And the other ones, Ed, Ed Gain as well, she's been compared to as well for oh, obvious yeah. reasons. You know, and you also have to consider the childhood. She was broken from a really young age. Yeah. Um, and I think that was probably another thing that she was going to lean on with the insanity where she was be like, well, you know, I was sexually abused by my brother. My dad beat me up. My stepdad was a drunk. Um, you know, my mother was raped in front of me. And then she was probably going to also lean on and, you know, my ex-husbands beat me as well. Unfortunately, none of this uh, was enough to get her off. And I don't think that there was any um, presumption that she would ever get off anyway. Right. And I'm, I'm just glad that this judge had the foresight enough to put her in prison forever because, let's face it, she she left her baby on a railway track. Yeah. That, you know, she's going to hurt someone again. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, I think it's smart that, I agree, I'm glad that she's never going to walk the streets because that is what would have happened. There would have been somebody else, it would have happened again, and then it would have been something that was so obviously preventable. But how do you not put somebody who is skinned a human being away like for life? I mean, I don't yeah. think that comes with the territory at that point like you you already have set the stage yeah yeah there's no getting out after that no no and that's where we're at pretty much now uh so Catherine Knight yep she's she's safe in prison and the people of Australia are uh, (laughs) in no danger thank god I, uh, I, you know, and I, I'm not uncognizant of the fact that she may be listening to every podcast that comes out. All it would take would be a Google search of her name to see which podcast has done the latest uh, episode on her. Mm-hmm. And um, I wouldn't want to know that she was uh, out <laughs> because you never know when she's going to hold someone up in a car with a knife and say, drive me to Melbourne, I'm going to kill a podcaster. <laughs> Yeah, I have to be honest, you know, I mean, she seems like she would, if she's going to do it. The precedent is there. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, no, no. Let's hope that she never, no. I think she's probably tucked away pretty tightly. I think you'll be okay. I think so. I think so. Chrissy Rios, it's been fun. It has been a blast. I am. St- I literally am. I can't. I hate to say, it, but I can't wait to tell people on the story. Which is more? It's like what's more morbid? Listening to it or like I can't wait to tell people about it. It was interesting. It was crazy. It was twisty, turny. It's my favorite kind of true crime. At at I think my fridge is haunted. That's what we're about. And there's plenty more where that came from. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you. I really am so glad I was invited to your show and I was a part of it and that you Please come again. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Maybe next time we'll do something spooky, something with ghosts and aliens and that kind of thing. I'm all I'm all in for the ghosts. I'm all about the ghosts. Yeah. My little cool. haunted house. And so love it. perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Of course you have a haunted house, don't you? 
I do. I do. It's yeah. very funny because um, I'm actually going to be staying at a, ho- a hotel in Chicago that is famous for being haunted. Very famous for being haunted. Have you ever seen the movie um, 1408? Yes. It's really trippy. Yes. Yes, I've seen it. Yes. So the hotel he stays in was actually based off of the Congress Hotel here in Chicago. Okay. I'm staying at that hotel. I'm going to spend a night there. And, you know, a couple friends of mine are going to come along. And we're actually going to do, like, EVPs and stuff. So we're really like super stoked. It's hard to get into the room that's really haunted. I think it's 441 and it's it's always booked. But yeah. people always leave. Like I guess it gets really crazy in the middle of the night. They get scared and they want to leave. So I'm so jealous. I'm really stoked. And by the way, I will be heading to the US probably next year now. My sister ran out of annual leave, so we couldn't do it this year. <laughs> but I'm hoping next winter, which is your summer. That is perfect. We are, we are definitely, that was kind of something we hope and I've been talking about it even leading up to, I have a, a ticket or a flight credit. Oh, and cool. So I was like, I'm saving this credit because I'm going to use it for when Gemma comes to town and I'm going to get my flight to New Orleans, but now yeah. I will use it for something else knowing, but. Yeah, take a nice little holiday. I will be there. It's just, um. I think it'll be next year now when she can accrue a little bit more leave time because we don't want to come for like just a week. We want to do a, a good couple of weeks and see as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And it's, everything is pretty spread out. So a week would not. Right. It, I mean, your country is huge. It's so yeah. big. <laughs> anyway, I'm going over to my friend's house to visit her and her little daughter. Alrighty. And then I'm going to a comedy night with a couple of my high school friends. Oh, that's gonna be so fun. It's gonna be it's gonna be a laugh, hopefully. <laughs> it, it'll be fun and laugh. So yeah, I hope it's I hope it's funny. That's the worst if you go to a It better place. be funny. That is the worst. It's free entry, so I can't ask for my money back. <laughs> I've been to those, but usually they turn out pretty good. I've not been disappointed, so I'm sure you'll you'll have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, right. I uh do you know our outro? No, not by heart. Okay, so I say be creepy and you say, but don't be a creep. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Okay, so until next time, everybody, thanks for joining us once again on I Think My Fridge is Haunted. Uh, as always, neuter your cats, God damn it, And be creepy. But don't be a creep. Don't be a creep. Woo! <laughs>